try to go into these conversations having three goals. Make them clearly state what they believe. Mm. Try to get to the base of the propaganda, the base of the slogans. Try to get them to listen to you clearly state the pro-life view and try to walk away from the conversation, giving them a positive impression of having a difficult conversation with a Christian. Welcome to the Mama Bear Apologetics Podcast. A podcast where we teach you to roar like a mother. And by roar, we mean recognize the message, offer discernment, argue for a healthier approach, and reinforce these ideas with your kids. Unless you want to growl around your house. I mean, that's cool too. <laughs> You're like, check it. We keep it reels. <laughs> that's so bad. You're awesome. Mama Bear Apologetics is a listener-supported program, so if you like what we do, head on over to the Mama Bear Apologetics website and click support. It's time to rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. This might not affect your faith, but it might affect your children's. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another Mama Bear Apologetics podcast, a podcast dedicated to you mamas, papas, grandmamas, grandpapas, basically anyone who's pouring into a kid in any way, shape, or form. This podcast is for you to help you understand what's going on in culture so that when you pour into the next generation, you can help nurture them so that they will stand firm against the secular tide. So I'm excited. We've got some amazing things coming up within Mama Bear. We've got a book coming out this spring that is just its prayers for Mama Bears, prayers for all different sorts of life circumstances and situations and stages in life to just provide encouragement out there for you. So we got that coming up spring of 2024. So keep your eyes open. Keep up with us on social media. You'll be able to have all the good updates. But for today, I'm excited that we have our very own Jennifer DeFrades on because we're going to be tackling a very hot button issue, but it's one that unfortunately, because of the elections coming up, we are going to be discussing abortion and how to make a case for life with pro-choice family and, and friends. And so I'm so thankful to have Jennifer who has studied this topic well, and she's going to give us some pointers on how to just witness to our friends and family and make a case for life. So Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Amy. It's fun to be here. I know. It's it's always great when we can connect more with our mama bears and just really share wisdom. And so I would love for you just to help our listeners know a little bit more about you. Can you share a little bit about yourself? I'm a homeschool mom. Hey, right. I am uh, obviously a Christian apologist, but I came to this journey because my husband deconverted and became an atheist. So that's how I found apologetics. I, I knew there had to be answers for his questions, yeah. but um, I didn't know where to find them. And luckily God intervened in my Google search and Jay Warner Wallace popped up. So yeah, that took me down the rabbit trail and eventually finding Mama Bear Apologetics. And I've been on your launch teams and now get to write for you guys. And it's been just an exciting journey. Yeah. Oh man, that that's so wonderful. And it's amazing how often, especially among women, are brought into apologetics for the sake of somebody else. You know, it's a family member, it's a friend, it's even their own doubts. And it is wonderful how faithful God is that in the midst of our doubts, he is there and he's able to provide resources. And man, Jay Warner Wallace, I mean, that's that's a great one to start off with because super accessible, absolutely fascinating. And he makes an, an amazing case for Christ. So, and you've you've even done CIA. If, uh, if I'm, yeah, twice. Mm -hmm. So, which is an amazing program. If you've never looked it up, it is apologetics training to where you can go and, uh, learn tactics, uh, under Frank Turek. So that way you can become a better witness for the faith. It's, a, I believe, what, a two week program? No, it's only three days. Only so they three cram, days. They cram a lot in three days. So you learn how to, to present yourself, how to speak in front of an audience. Um, how to do good PowerPoints. It's it's taking your apologetics to where you're using it and not mm -hmm. just being an absorber, but being a producer of content. So it's really about those people that are wanting to like lead a class at church or lead a home Bible study, but they want to turn it up a notch. Yeah. Um, somebody who wants to be a professional apologist and travel to churches. 
There's a lot of different people who attend, but it is one of the most amazing experiences. Like we all left this time and just didn't want to go home. It was like leaving summer camp. You know, nobody wants right? to be the first one to leave. You know, sign my yearbook, stay cool. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right oh my gosh we all know that feeling and, I, and you know you mentioning being a homeschool mom too i mean this is fantastic for the homeschool communities is to bring these subjects now to your elementary school your middle school your high schoolers or your you know your grammar your logic stage kids wherever you're at this is a wonderful place to go to get that training so that way you can now pour into those kids that you're directly involved in at your co-ops or churches it's wonderful Yep. I actually teach Sunday school every three weeks and we do more Bible centered lessons, but I throw in some apologetics and then I teach a Bible centered apologetics worldview class this year for my homeschool co-op. Like we're doing something different. I yeah. want last year we did a lot of the, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist kind of arguments this year. We're switching to worldview so that kids can understand what is a Christian worldview yeah. and what are the opposing ideas you'll hear from Islam or humanism or Buddhism or atheism mm -hmm. so that they can recognize stuff when they hear it, identify it and compare it to what their a biblical worldview is because a lot of kids don't know the difference and They'll just absorb things without really processing it if they're not focused on paying attention to the trigger words. Absolutely. So that's what we're going to be learning this year. Hoorah. That's awesome. And, and, you know, it's so important, especially with regarding this topic of abortion, because any, any subject that we're wrestling with within, within these morality subjects, this is an expression of a worldview and the conclusions that we make is an expression of that worldview. And, you know, it's so easy to, to be uh, maybe lured by an impassionate story or a struggle and to rightly empathize, but to sometimes it can be to our detriment to allow that empathy to now override our reasoning to the point that we don't realize that, oh, now I'm, I'm affirming or I'm agreeing with something because, uh, you know, it, it meets somebody where their, where their emotional need is at, but it's actually making a very, very bold and false theological claim. And when it comes to abortion, we have to be very careful where we stand there because it, it is making claim on human life that could potentially put our own view of human dignity on shaky ground, put it on something as, as slippery as as, you know, a, a stage in development. And so I'm so thankful that you're here to help us wrestle with this issue because we want to be able to share our faith well with our family, our friends, and our coworkers. But when it comes to hot button issues, especially this one, it can be very intimidating. So I'm just, I'm grateful you're here, Jennifer, to, to help us so that way we can have good, fruitful conversations regarding the idea of being pro-choice. And so just... My, my thanks on being here. So one thing we want to do before we start out this podcast is just to be very clear is that this is not a podcast from a, a point of judgment. We know everybody's got different stories and different backgrounds. And we just want to affirm that all of us are broken in different ways before, before we knew Christ. But when we knew Christ, we were washed clean. We were made new. So this is, this is not a podcast of condemnation, but of, of tactical engagement. It's of truth and of grace that we are supposed to have. So we're regardless of your background, your history, know that if you have accepted Christ, you have been made new in him and that is not who you are. And so with this issue, we just want to state that right at the beginning as we navigate pro-choice. So Jennifer, you mentioned to me earlier that you were originally a pro-choice Christian, which I, there are actually a lot of folks out here. So can you give us a little background on, on what you mean by pro-choice Christian, kind of what led you to adopt that belief? So I think you kind of hit on it. Um, is that the empathy? Yeah. You know, for one, I was raised in a Christian home. So I was raised with Christian values, Christian beliefs. But then I went to public school mm -hmm. and got inundated with the slogans. Yeah. You know, the because I was born just before Roe v. Wade. So it was legal pretty much my entire life. Mm -hmm. And those ideas, the slogans, peer pressure, especially high school and college, was a lot of just hearing the propaganda and the slogans and thinking, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Like, 
you don't, when people use a rhetorically powerful statement, it's very easy to nod your head and go, yeah, and not think it all the way through. Yeah. And I think that was a lot of what happened to me was that the empathy of hearing stories where a pregnancy would be hard yeah. made me want to be kind, mm. made me want to be loving. I also didn't want to start conflict. Like nobody wants that's to be the jerk at the table that says, no, that's a sin. Like mm. you just, it's really hard to do. And I think part of my walk that was an issue was that I wasn't really a Christian. I would have oh. called myself a Christian. I would have identified that way. But as far as my worldview, the ideas that I held, as far as what that meant, and my personal relationship with God, I don't think was in the right place. Mm. You know, and it took years before I really understood that I knew the book. I didn't know the author. Wow. And I needed to really get to know God personally, not just riding my parents' coattails. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we all have things that happen to us as teenagers and young adults that can drive a wedge between us and God. As soon as you have trauma or tragedy, those t- tend to be things that make it hard to believe in a good God. And mm-hmm. I had some of those kind of events happen as a teenager and never really dealt with how God could still be good. And I think that just kind of was Satan's like driving that wedge in. He used that as a tool to separate following Jesus and the rules yeah. from knowing Jesus. So mm-hmm. I want to follow him and live the way he tells us is best for us. Yeah. So that becomes this dichotomy. And then you go to public college where nobody wants to follow any rules. And yeah. it was just a perfect storm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I justified my thinking on abortion because I couldn't say I was ever Mm pro-abortion because that just wasn't kind of in my emotional DNA to ever say we should kill a baby. Right. But I thought that the reason I was against it was because of the Bible. Well, the Bible tells us that life begins at conception. Mm -hmm. So therefore it's a sin. Well, if the Bible says it, then I don't have the right to force that opinion on somebody else because that's my religious belief. Gotcha. You see how I did that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm. I thought I was really slick coming up with that one. Yeah. Except for the fact that the Bible tells us life begins at conception because it does. Yes. (laughs) Not because it's not true because the Bible says it. Mm -hmm. The Bible says it because it's true. Mm. So that became part of, changing my mindset was when I realized that there are other reasons that you can not believe that abortion is okay. That isn't religious at all. Yeah. Like there are secular arguments. In fact, the thing that really changed my mind was science. But because of my worldview shifting to a personal relationship with Christ, I also began to value human life differently and see the issue from a different point of view. But this was a long process. And that's why this conversation is so important to me, because people don't realize that it may take years to change someone's mind on an issue like this. Mm -hmm. It took me, I I wouldn't even know, maybe over 10 years of just walking gradually along the path of getting closer to Christ, Mm -hmm. of doing research on abortion of people pouring into me and a little idea here and a little idea there, you know, as Greg Coco likes to say, put a stone in someone's shoe. Yep. And there are people that put stones in my shoe and they never quite let me get away with some of my bad thinking. And eventually I came to realize that abortion's wrong, that we should be pro-life in virtually every single case except for the life of the mother. And that has to be pretty narrowly defined. Mm -hmm. Um, But it took a while. Yeah. So I want to help people make that kind of difference in the lives of their friends and family, but also be able to have a conversation that doesn't devolve into hurt feelings. As Greg Coco likes to say, if anyone gets angry, you lose. Yeah. Because if the other person gets angry, they stop listening. If you get angry, you're not representing your position well. You're you're not representing Christ well. So you lose. Yeah. Because that's the ultimate goal, right? Is to represent Christ well. 
because yeah. he's going to change your heart and mind more than any arguments we'd come up with. Yeah, no, and you make so many good points in in that because the first that really stuck out to me is is that this is the long game. You know, it it there are very few instances when we have apologetic evangelistic encounters with an individual where it's a one conversation and we now go before God and accept Christ as Savior. I mean, that's that's very rare instance. We are more often a one of a series of conversations of encounters that person is going to have that like you had said can take years to uh, to nurture and to nourish and to remove those weeds and to pour in and to um allow that heart softening so that the Holy Spirit's able to work. And so I'm, I appreciate that encouragement because I think sometimes Satan can be so clever that he makes us think that, oh man, if you don't have this, you know, smack down amazing conversation, and if there's them not immediately repenting of their prior beliefs that you have failed as a Christian, and no, that's that's not true at all. It, it takes time. And there also what you mentioned is there is always background baggage that we may not know about. There's thought process, there's learned behavior, there's experiences that have to be addressed and sorted through. And so when we keep that in focus, that helps us, helps remind us that when we navigate these conversations, we have to do it it gently uh, as well as intentionally, because there's going to be other issues behind it that led to this one decision. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so I'm grateful that you pointed out that, you know, there, there were, you know, instances even in your past that led to these conclusions. And it's funny that you mentioned college, because I remember even going through my bachelor's degree I, I was against abortion, except in the cases, and we'll get to this later, of uh, rape and incest. Like those were, those were my only concessions. And part of that belief, you know, like you were kind of saying, well, I, I, oh, well, this is just a religious belief, you know, when we kind of have this sort of relativistic look, like, oh, our stance on abortion is just anchored in religion and not actually in biological reality. Well, then, okay, I can kind of keep it to myself. But mm -hmm. uh, for, and that was kind of for me in, in those two instances is, oh, well, no, it's okay. Because if, if an act occurred that was, that was violent, well, then that justifies, you know, an abortion. And it, it took years also of, looking at the issue and then even going through and studying fetal development and realizing, oh, wait a second. No, that, you know, is a stage of development or timing or even a situation that can't justify it. And that took a long time to work through. Because like you said, there's so much of culture that speaks into women's rights and autonomy that you absorb that you may not even realize that you're absorbing. And all of a sudden you do have kind of this dichotomy uh, in your, in your worldview when it comes to abortion of, yeah, I'm against it in most elective cases, except for this small few. And mm -hmm. it, it does, it takes time to, to unpack all of those. And I think one of the issues I really want to make sure our listeners hear is that we tend to be afraid to get into these conversations because yeah. we think we have to have all the answers or change someone's mind. Mm -hmm. The reality is, is changing someone's mind on a sincerely held belief is like trying to turn the Titanic. Right. And we're not going to accomplish that. Try to go into these conversations having three goals. Make them clearly state what they believe. Mm. Try to get to the base of the propaganda, the base of the slogans. Try to get them to listen to you clearly state the pro-life view and try to walk away from the conversation, giving them a positive impression of having a difficult conversation with a Christian. Yeah. That's it. If you can do those three things, I think that you count that as a win, mm -hmm. even if the conversation is very short, because you don't know what God's doing. Yeah. You know, God will bring the harvest. It's just our job to kind of move somebody around the board. Just make them think. You yeah. don't need to accomplish everything. And I think that when we take that mindset, it's a whole lot easier to get in the game and just have the conversation. You don't have to feel like there's all this pressure to get it right and to have every single possible answer covered because that'll keep me from starting a conversation. You know, my daughter challenged me to have a conversation with somebody a few weeks ago. And I was like, I don't have all the answers. She's like, but if you love them, you'll have the conversation. Oh, my goodness. That not that so profound? Don't you just love those yeah. little moments? I know. I was, and I definitely didn't feel prepared. 
Mm. But I went and had the conversation and I felt like I made a couple of good points, Mm. heard the other person out, was able to say, hey, I love you. And that's why I came over to talk to you today. And we ended on that note. So I don't know the fruit from that conversation, if it will bear any. If nothing else, it reminded me that sometimes it's okay to talk to somebody when you're scared. Yeah. And you're not sure about the answers and let Mm. God just speak through you. And it doesn't have to be perfect because you're talking to a person who's also doesn't have all the answers. Mm. It's okay to just have a conversation with someone. It's not every moment doesn't have to be a gotcha moment. Yeah. You know, if you watch YouTube and want to talk about how to talk about abortion, you will find plenty of videos that will teach you how to have a gotcha moment. Yeah. And I don't want this to be a gotcha moment kind of thing. I want us to show women how to open the door to real conversation with people they love about one of the toughest topics out there. So love the people enough to be bold enough to have the conversation. And I I love those three steps that you gave. So the first one is have them clearly articulate their stance. And that's so important because especially with our younger generation, how they have never known a day of their life without social media, that has trained them to retweet without doing a whole lot of research. If it stirs them emotionally, then they will parrot out what they've seen. But then when you start asking them, okay, but why do you believe that? What do you mean by this? Then they now all of a sudden they're they're spinning their wheels a little bit because they haven't really done the research. And so what are some practical questions that that our families can ask? So one of the things I think is important is it depends on the conversation. Okay. Like, where are you? Are you standing in front of an abortion clinic and you're talking with somebody who's on the other side of the fence? That's going to be a different conversation than sitting down with your best friend. True. You know, so it's always good to ask somebody why abortion is important to them. Okay. If they've, that tells you if they've had an abortion, mm. if they've ever thought about having an abortion, if somebody close to them has had an abortion, because we want to empathize with them appropriately. And if you just want to jump into having what is in your mind, this very logical conversation, right? you might miss some triggers that are going to make that hard. So it's always good to start with, why is this important to you? Mm. Get a feel for where they are. And then you want to try to make them clearly state what pro-choice means to them. Okay. What are you choosing? Because they they are going to go out of their way not to say taking the life of an innocent human being. Right. Right. And we want to see if we can get them to say that. Mm -hmm. At least acknowledge that that's what it means. You know, what does pro-choice mean? What are you choosing? Um, An abortion. Well, can you explain to me what an abortion is? Do you know how one's performed? What do you know about abortion? And let them tell you what they think, what they feel, what they know. First of all, it gives you time to see where you maybe can add a little information if they're not clear on something that gives you information on what question to ask next to help them speak the words out loud. Yeah. Because a lot of times they're, well, reproductive rights. Okay. What does that mean? Yeah. Where are the reproductive rights in the constitution? Is that something protected? I I missed that clause. Where is that? What does that mean? Um, whose reproductive rights are you protecting? Because men's reproductive rights aren't protected in abortion. Mm. So they don't think through the terms. It's I call it being sloganized. Yeah. Where they've just heard all the slogans and right. they're like, that sounds great. And they have not logically taken it to their conclusion. So this is a good opportunity to like make them think it through all mm. the way. Yeah. No. And that's a good point too, because even how dialogue is now going on within our culture, it's not about having a conversation. It's not about having a, a debate in a traditional sense, meaning just sharing one's ideas, testing out each other's truth claims, that sort of thing. It's now more about shouting out the other person. And so if you can say an impassioned slogan, you know, loud enough and get the other person feeling uncomfortable, well, then you can shut down the conversation and chalk it up as a win. But when you can actually help people slow down and to think through their claims, well, then you help them realize what they're actually advocating. And I've seen instances to where people, once they think it through, they're like, oh man, do I, is that really what I believe? And it it almost stops them in their tracks Mm -hmm. because they have been so impassioned by a slogan that they didn't realize the realities behind it and what they were actually advocating. 
Right. So like when somebody says, well, we, we should be able to kill babies of rape and incest. Mm -hmm. Okay. Would you do that to the three-year-old conceived in rape? Right. So we take it to the logical conclusion. Um, I think Greg Coco calls this taking the roof off, but it, you take it to like the absurd level. Yeah. Like, so technically I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a woman who was raped who kept her child. Mm. Does that mean you should just kill me? Yeah. Like, right? Yeah. Like, why not now? I mean, if she all of a sudden has remorse, I mean, why wouldn't that be legal? Right. So it's, um, it's actually generationally removed, but mm. the idea is there are literally like 30 physical human beings I can count that exist because one baby was kept. Mm. Wow. And I think it's important to remember that we would never take a born child's life because it was a, from a traumatic experience. Right. So we've taken this to this ridiculous level where no one's going to suggest that's a good idea. But in the argument, they hear, well, what about rape and incest? What about mm -hmm. rape and incest? Yeah. They never really thought this through. Mm -hmm. Like, is this really a good argument? Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and we can talk about that for a minute if you want. Oh, yeah. That's the most common argument here. Yes, it is. And it, and it usually is pertaining to someone who a minor who's underage. And so I mean, it's it's already taken to its ultimate extreme because rape and incest cases are a fraction of a percent of the actual amount of abortions that occur. They're primarily elective. And so so how would one navigate this conversation? I think it's really important to ask why they're asking that question. Because if they've personally experienced a pregnancy from rape or incest, you need to answer the, them differently than mm -hmm. if it's an intellectual conversation. If it's intellectual, then you say, okay, would you then be okay with all other abortions being outlawed? Because yeah. if the answer is no, then you're using that as a tactic, not because you genuinely believe that that's a legitimate argument. Right. Right. Then we talk about the fact that only 1% of abortions, if that, are from rape or incest. And of the women who aborted, who did so because of rape or incest, 93% of them regret their decision. Wow. Oh, golly, that's heartbreaking. And the, and the women who keep their baby, almost all of them say that they um, are happy about it. 73% yeah. are glad they kept their baby after mm -hmm. being raped or through incest because it redeems it. Mm. Like having this child to love and to care for. I know people in my life that went through this yeah. and that baby helped heal the trauma of rape and incest, not made it worse, which I think abortion is a, another trauma. Yeah. We would never put somebody through a trauma and say, you know, what's good for that. Another trauma. <laughs> More trauma. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> <laughs> the um, other thing there is that out of the women who have aborted because they were raped or incest, 43% of them were forced to do so. Oh. so. This isn't a choice. Yeah. Like we're not really letting people choose. Yeah. In fact, most women who get abortions say that they felt forced yeah. in general, like 78%. Mm. So don't quote me on that, but it's in the high 70s yeah. of women who literally felt forced to choose an abortion. If we're pro-choice, I don't think abortion is really um, pro-choice. Yeah, no, absolutely so not. Didn't have the right to choose. So I would start there and mm -hmm. say that this is not a legitimate position, you know, as far as like, you're not really going to outlaw abortion. Mm -hmm. If we say, okay, if it's rape or incest, we're okay with it. Mm -hmm. If you're not using that legitimately. And then if you are, let's say that somebody's talking about that super young child mm -hmm. that's been raped and now she's pregnant. This is one of the few cases that health of the mother might actually play in, depending mm -hmm. on her age and whether or not she can carry a baby to term. However, I don't know. I don't know any doctors who would recommend an abortion right off the bat if they were trying to um, care for the baby as well as the, the mother. Because there are actually two patients in that room, you right. know, when you're treating a pregnant woman. And depending on her age, there might be a legitimate reason why she could not physically carry and it could damage her body. I'm not a medical doctor. 
that's about the only line that I think we might need to like consider mm -hmm. that if somebody's physical health was, they were going to die if they came in a threat. Yeah. Right. And this is almost never happens. Right. So we're talking about 1% of the population. Now I have a 13 year old daughter. You have a brand new daughter. Yeah. You know, we are facing possibly being in this situation. Yeah. You know, just being female. Mm -hmm. And if she got pregnant through a rape situation, walking that through her with that would be very difficult. Yeah. People would make assumptions. People would judge. People would have all sorts of opinions about yeah, it. Yeah, they would. But I don't think asking her to end that pregnancy would be less traumatic. Right. I think it would be more traumatic. I've seen friends who had to go through something like this and it was a traumatic experience for them. Mm -hmm. Whether they're happy with their decision or not, it wasn't like having a tooth removed. Right. It was extra trauma layered on top of trauma and they are forever wondering mm -hmm. what that baby would have been like, what my life would have turned out to be. It's not a, it's not an easy fix. And I think in a situation like that, we want an easy fix. We want a do over. Yeah. There are moments in our lives that you get one shot mm -hmm. and there's no do over. There's no rewind button. And we're in such a culture where you can rewind something. If you miss it, everything's on demand that when something horrible happens in your life and there's no way to undo it. Right. We want that quick fix mm -hmm. and abortion feels like it undoes the damage and it doesn't. Yeah. No. And that, that's such a good point because it is, we often do seek that, that quick fix and it's, it's an impulse, but it doesn't provide that solution. And, uh, you know, one thing that, that is, is so important, especially with regard to, you know, that wrestling with the rape and incest is what that does is now that reduces one's humanity it's contingent upon how you were conceived so your human dignity your humanity depends upon whether or not you know it was the ideal situation or you know that that you were wanted and that sort of thing and that's a very superficial grounding for one's human dignity and i mean it, it really it doesn't even stop like what we were discussing at in the womb. I mean, it's even all the way up until through adulthood, you know, if to, if we're just going to base it off of a circumstance, well then it, as long as our parents decide, oh, you know what, that really wasn't ideal and I don't want to have you anymore, technically, then they should be allowed to get rid of one's child, even if the child isn't an adult. And so it's very, very shaky grounding when we start basing our humanity on something superficial like conception or how one was conceived. That, so that brings up the, the next great question to focus on when you're having a conversation is what is it? Yes. What is it? Because they're going to want to say fetus. Yeah. Clump of cells. Well, fetus is just Latin for offspring. So that's more of a statement of development. Yeah. And it is for identity. Um, clump of cells. Okay. Me too. <laughs> We're all clump of cells. Right? Like, how do you define that? Yeah. When do you, when do you decide that this clump of cells is, it matters mm -hmm. because there's no way to count them. So you can't have a number. So saying something's a clump of cells is not definitive. We can't use that as any kind of legal definition. Right. Okay. What is it? Mm -hmm. If it's parents are human, it's human. Mm -hmm. and humans have the right to life. Mm -hmm. We don't take an innocent human life without a cause. And that cause has to be like accidental. You yeah. know, we don't do it on purpose. Yeah. We never want to take a human, an innocent human life um, purposefully. Mm -hmm. And abortion always takes an innocent human life purposefully. Yeah. Well, and one thing that I, that I always hear uh, said is, well, up until a certain point, whether it's week 16 or, you know, heartbeat, as long as it's the, the fetus does not experience pain, then that makes it okay. Like there, there is, they almost try to do this sort of developmental mm -hmm. cutoff. Like it's okay. Well, it can't experience pain or it's not viable outside of the womb. Therefore it's okay to take the life up until, you know, week 21, 22, or around there, how would, if somebody was leveled that challenge, how would mm -hmm. you respond or what would be a good way to respond to that? So using the viability of the fetus is really a good place to start kind of 
unraveling. Like, so where do you find that line and ask them? Because brain function and heartbeat Mm -hmm. start a whole lot earlier than people think they do. Yeah. Like within three weeks, usually by the time you're taking a pregnancy test, because you've realized you're late, there's a heartbeat and there's brain activity. Yeah. You might not be able to detect it, but it's there. So if we're going to use that, that outlaws all abortion. So again, Mm -hmm. if you're going to use that, are we outlawing all abortion? And then we need to ask them if alive born people can't feel pain, does that mean it's okay to kill them? Mm. There are a lot of people that have that genetic disorder where they don't feel pain. Does that mean we should kill them? Yeah. Not generally. We usually go out of our way to like help them live a healthy long life because surprisingly the ability to feel pain is actually a protective measure that stops us from doing things that hurt us. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, Babies also feel pain way mm. younger than we think they do. There's a video that um, you can watch on YouTube. It's called The Silent Scream, and it shows oh. an abortion, and it shows the baby crying, and it's a very young fetus. Mm. I want to say like 13 weeks or something, and it's horrific. Um, yeah. I would not recommend people watch it that have a tender heart, but yeah. if you want truth, yeah. Something that I thought was interesting was that the man who allowed it to be filmed, the abortion doctor, watched it and never performed another abortion. Mm. You know, there's something about the truth of what we're doing there. Um, The viability. Another good point to make is if you're not sure, like what percentage of sure are you that it's that it's alive? Like if we found this on Mars, what would we call it? We'd call it life. Yeah, absolutely. If you were demolishing a building and you had to make sure that there was nobody alive in there, what percentage of surety would you want? Would you be okay with 99% sure before you push the button? I wouldn't. I would want to make sure there was a 100% chance that there is nobody in that building. Yeah. I don't think you can claim that you're 100% sure the baby doesn't feel pain isn't self-aware and isn't a human life. Mm. No. And those are such good points. And one thing that, that was interesting, I noticed just this year and you probably did too, is how there were even some medical professionals who were now trying to say, well, it actually isn't cardiac activity. Their, their hearts aren't actually beating. It's more of a fluttering that sort of mimics beat heart beating. Uh, it was especially when they were trying to overturn Roe v. Wade, they were really trying to backpedal on what it means to have a heartbeat. And that's one thing that is so tragic to where even medical professionals are now having to completely deny biological reality in the effort of maintaining this ideology of, you know, the ability to be able to just extinguish life when one decides. And it it's deeply tragic. But I'm wondering if part of that is because so much of pro-choice is tied up in this feminist argument of, well, no, a woman needs autonomy. And if we now defend the unborn, then a woman now loses some control over her body. And, you know, you always see these women dressed up like handmaid tail handmaids mm-hmm. and everything saying, well, now we're completely oppressed. And so how would, if you had a family member, friend, coworker, and they said, well, no, this is about autonomy and a woman's right over her own body. What would be a good response or some good questions, probing questions to ask? Do you have an absolute right to do whatever you want with your own body? Absolutely not. (laughs) I mean, the truth is we don't. Right. Technically, suicide's illegal in Mm. most states. Yeah. So you don't even have the right to kill yourself. You don't have the right to take out healthy sex organs in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Now that's changing with the transgender issue, but yeah. um, especially in the military, if you want to have a hysterectomy, you have to have your husband's permission. Mm-hmm. You have to have had so many children. Like there's rules. You can't just do this. Now, whether that's right or wrong, that's a different topic, but you can't do whatever you want with your body. Right. You can't take a baseball bat and use your body to bash somebody's brains in because you don't like their political stance. Mm. There are every law tells us what we can and can't do with our bodies. Mm-hmm. So you don't have perfect autonomy. Right. 
Um, I think you can also argue that parents have a special relationship with their offspring. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a, there's a responsibility there that's different than just anyone. Yeah. You know, you, except for that tiny little percentage, if you're pregnant, it's because you performed the only act that can cause that to happen. Thank you. <laughs> I was going to go there, but yes. You know, there are consequences for our choices. Yep. And you've made a choice that has resulted in another person being alive. This isn't about your autonomy. Mm -hmm. Your body is literally doing what it was made for. Yeah. Your, your uterus entire purpose is to create life. Mm. Every month it gets ready and practices just in case. Yeah. It's not like somebody's misusing your body. It's mm -hmm. being used for exactly what it was intended for. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So there's, there's some level of autonomy where you don't have the right to just be independent of all persons at all times. Mm -hmm. You know, um, if you saw a mother with a one month old who just walked off and left it at the store in a shopping cart while she ran to go get something from across the store, mm -hmm. we'd all be horrified. Yes. Right? Yep. There's just, we all understand that parents have a responsibility that the rest of us don't have. Now, most of us mama bears would immediately look, watch after that baby mm -hmm. and might gently say something to the mother. That, <laughs> gently, that <wasn't>, yeah. It <laughs> wasn't the wisest choice. Right. But, we all recognize that that mom has a responsibility that none of us have to, toward that baby because it's her offspring. And the same thing's true if the baby's still inside of you. You have a special responsibility for the being that you created. I love that point that you make because that's one thing, that's one argument I've heard is that people try to say, oh, well, this is like if you were knocked out at a party and you woke up and you had a blood transfusion to this complete stranger. And if you disconnected the blood transfusion, then that person would die and you are therefore morally responsible. And they, they would try and use that example saying, no, I'm not actually responsible for this person because it was against my will. And as you highlighted, wait a second, Sex is the only act that creates life. And so you can't say, oh, well, it's not what I intended. Well, it may not have been the outcome you were seeking. That's why we have to put so much effort into preventing pregnancy. And they are never 100%. The only 100% option is abstinence. And so that even that argument itself is, oh, well, this isn't what I planned. This isn't what I intended. No, I'm sorry. You are a, a responsible individual. And uh, actions have consequences. Sometimes the consequences are wonderful and sometimes they require lifelong work and nurturing as in the case of a little one. And if you're going to partake in the one activity that creates life, then you are responsible for the outcome, whatever that may be. And so I, I love that you highlighted that because it's, it's one thing that our culture flees from is responsibility. And I mean, it's all, it's all this very me focused, society. I got to take me time, self-care, all this, all this stuff. And we forget that, no, you know what? You have to also sacrifice for another too. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's actually one of the arguments, they call it the famous violinist argument. Yeah. Um, and I think it's one of the stronger arguments that the pro-choice side has okay. because we do say, oh, well, yeah, I, that makes sense. I shouldn't have to be connected to this other person. Mm -hmm. And my point obviously was that you do have a responsibility to your child in a different way than you do to a complete stranger. Yeah. But for somebody who's claiming to be a Christian, so now we're talking to somebody who says, I'm a Christian, mm -hmm. not just pro-choice. We have a responsibility to our fellow human beings that supersedes even a complete stranger. Like if somebody said, hey, for the next six to nine months, you can go about your life, but you got to be hooked up to this guy to keep him alive. Yeah. Yeah, I think as Christians, we do kind of have an obligation. Now, I wouldn't say that's cut and dried every single time, but really, you can go about your life perfectly normal. You might feel a little sick some days. You might be extra tired. Yeah. Essentially, you're going to live your life for the next six to nine months, and then there's going to be an autonomous human being. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I kind of think we do have an obligation, mm. you know, to care for that other person. Why would we... We know we're going to heaven. We don't necessarily know about the other person in that violinist scenario. Isn't our responsibility first to make sure that we are 
ambassadors for Christ in all situations. Hmm. So I point. think we do kind of have an obligation even then. Hmm. Interesting point. Now, you know, you mentioned that there are some really good arguments from the pro-choice side, and we have wrestled with several of those. Have we missed any that you think are particularly convincing from the pro-choice side? Well, I think the biggest one we're hearing now is it's not a person. Okay. Okay, because we've now gotten to the point where the Roe v. Wade's been turned over. Okay. We know that, um, so we haven't talked yet about IVF. But oh. a lot of people want to go to the science, right? Okay. So I say, let's go to science. Mm -hmm. So who who deals with when life begins the most? Embryologists who do IVF. Yeah. If you ask embryologists, virtually 100% of them will say life begins at the moment of conception. Not only will they say that, we can watch it happen. Yeah. You can see the moment a sperm joins the egg that there's a light that's given off. Like the, there's a actual flash of light when that egg is fertilized oh, wow. and they, they will notice which ones had the brighter flashes. Those tend to be the stronger embryos. Huh? So there's no doubt when life begins, we know this scientifically secular scientists say it. There's a whole document from uh, Princeton that shows quote after quote after quote of embryologists saying, yes, life begins at conception. Yeah. The people that are denying this are denying it for ideological reasons, not mm -hmm. scientific. Yeah. So if we're going to talk about the fact that science shows it's a person, it's a human being and they're alive, then the next argument has to be, well, it's not really a person because mm. they've got to somehow detract personhood. Right. Right. So they're not valuable. This kind of goes along with their heart not beating or their brain or they're not aware so funny stories. I actually read an article where someone was trying to argue that uh, you are not considered a person. It was it was a pro-choice argument. Basically, if you're if you are not capable of reading Shakespeare, then you don't necessarily count as a person. And I'm like, I don't know how many high schoolers would even fit that qualification. <laughs> so there's actually a short story, and the name of it's escaping me right now. But there's a short story about the abortion truck that comes around. <gasps> That's right. Oh, and if you can't do algebra then that you're oh, still I'm done. <laughs> I'm gone. I'm sorry, folks. It's been a good run. <laughs> yes. And, and that's kind of the point of the story is how ridiculous that threshold is. Yeah. Um, clearly, these are people that are talking and have emotions and your parents can basically call them up and say, yep, yeah, sorry. So until you're 12 mm -hmm. or can do algebra, you're free game. Wow. And the one son is horrified because the abortion truck just came by and he's terrified. And his mom's like, you're older. I don't know what your rationality is. Yeah. He's like, but how do I know you wouldn't turn me in? And she's like, but you can do algebra. So you're safe. Oh, geez. Like, this is such a ridiculous standard, right? Yeah. So that's the problem with all the personhood standards mm -hmm. is they always disqualify adult persons. Mm. Like, um, we use the sled argument, size, level of development, um, environment or degree of dependency. Mm. So is your size determine whether or not you're human? Mm. There are some pretty small people out there. Yeah. Does that make them less valuable than like Shaquille O'Neal? Right. I wouldn't say so. Mm. Um, your level of development is the two-year-old less valuable than the 10-year-old than the 25-year-old? Mm -hmm. No. Then the same works with the fetus or embryo or baby, because that's yeah. what it is, in the womb. The environment, okay, you're not magically a person outside the womb because of the birth canal yeah. or the C-section. Like, you didn't, something magical didn't happen. Oh, no, I just went through it last week. It was not magical. <laughs> <laughs> it was not fun. Not magical. Um, but the baby is the same if you live in China or if you live in the U.S., you're still yeah. human being. Mm -hmm. Your environment doesn't change. What changes is how valued you are. Yes. Like a two-year-old little girl has a significant higher value in our culture than they do in China. Yeah, sadly. Does that change her literal value? Mm -hmm. Or is there something wrong with the culture that says she's not as important? Yeah. Is there something wrong with the culture that's willing to execute somebody based on their gender? Mm. I think we all recognize that that's wrong yeah. when it's not 
infringing on what we want to do. Yeah. You know, and then the degree of dependency. Mm. If you're talking about somebody who's dependent on a heart lung machine or dialysis or like if degree of dependency is the issue, then anybody with Alzheimer's or a physical malady of some sort, mm -hmm. your life doesn't matter anymore. You're inconvenient. Yeah. We would never do that. Mm -hmm. Now, there are people that unfortunately have gotten so cold hearted that they say, oh, no, that's fine as well. And I think that's one of the reasons that abortion is such a big issue is that it becomes a slippery slope. And we start justifying euthanasia on the other side of the argument as well. Right. We just start removing the sanctity of life yeah. everywhere. And that's where it becomes a worldview issue because God has told us that our lives have value even when they don't appear to have value from anybody else's perspective, but his. Yeah. Oh. And that's where we respect that. You know, I have a, a special needs stepson who he's not aware of himself in the way that other ki kids are. I mean, he is, he's functional to some degree, but if we were going to hold him to some sort of mental ability standard, he would never make it. Yeah. But his life has meaning as mm. purpose has value. Like he has a job, he has friends, he plays sports. You know, he's not the same kind of 25 year old that most kids will be but his life is important mm -hmm. and we would never say it wasn't. Yeah. But we do that to children in the womb all the time, especially kids who are going to have a birth defect. Mm -hmm. Or, or even just perceived birth defect. I mean, if you just have a, a, a higher rate, I mean, they'll even suggest it as, oh, well, you know, you don't want to have to deal with this for your whole life. And I believe it wasn't it Tim Tebow to where his mother mm -hmm. was told, oh, you know, he's, he's not going to be functional. And, and it turned, and she said, no, I'm not going to have an abortion. And then he was, he was perfectly fine. The test was wrong. And so Actually, the tests are wrong eight out of 10 times. Wow. Wow. I don't, I don't even know why they use them. Yeah. The genetic testing is mm -hmm. wrong eight out of 10 times yeah. for what's done in the womb. Now, there are tests that are more accurate for things like Down syndrome and stuff, but a lot of the genetic testing is just incorrect. Yeah. And they're encouraging women to get abortions based on this testing. And it turns out there's nothing wrong. Yeah. Oh man, no, and you know, it really exposes how deeply degrading having this sort of extrinsic standard on one's value truly is, because then your value is determined by other people and how closely you match a standard. And I mean, if you wanna see how toxic this is, you, you don't even have to look at abortion, just look at social media's influence on teen girls. I mean, there's been a huge spike in depression among teen girls and one of the leading, uh, correlations that they found is this increased use of social media. They're looking at these hyper filtered views of beauty and the, the ones who are the, the prettiest or the most airbrushed or whatever, get more followers. And so these girls are basing their self-worth based on basically AI conceptions of womanhood and their mental health is spiraling because of it. And so we just see this even within something as simple as social media negatively impacting because we're putting this standard of beauty on and value, having this ent extrinsic value on one's beauty. And then to bring that into humanity of saying, oh no, your humanity is determined based on uh, how healthy you're going to be or whether or not you are the right gender. Because yeah, infanticide is huge and it disproportionately affects girls than boys. So, I mean, just even thinking about that and what you were talking about, you know, when you get these challenges of, of even women's rights, it's, wait a second, one of the, one of the biggest causes that you can have to uphold women's rights is the right for them to be born. And mm -hmm. it's just, even those statistics are just so vitally important. So that brings up a, a response that might be appropriate, depending on the conversation. If someone's saying, that a woman has the right to have an abortion for any reason whatsoever, there's a good question you can ask them. So would it be okay if we discovered there was a gay gene mm -hmm. and we knew that your child was going to be gay or transgender, you know, genetically, mm -hmm. would it be okay for them to abort for that reason? Right. Because most pro-choice people are not going to agree to that. Yeah. A lot of them are very liberal on that side of the fence as well. And mm. they're going to be like, oh, no, that's terrible. So it's okay to abort because I don't feel like being a mom. Right. But it's not okay to abort because I don't want my child to, like, be gay or transgender or deal with those issues. Mm -hmm. How is that different than dealing with being having Down syndrome or, mm. like, you said it was okay. Yeah. So 
again, take their position to the logical conclusion, help them see what they really believe, help mm-hmm. them see what they really arguing for. Um, but do it in a conversational way. Yeah. Don't try to gotcha. Yeah. Leave them thinking, not fuming. Yes. Oh, I love that. Leave them thinking, not fuming and asking those open-ended, thoughtful, meditative questions. That's going to do it because now they're going to say, well, wait a second. What about if it's not okay in this case, then how can it be okay within the pro-choice? So no, that is so helpful. Uh, thank you. You get frustrated if people don't recognize the truth of what you're sharing. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, second Corinthians four, four tells us that Satan has blinded the eyes of the people in this world to the truth of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And some of that truth, the gospel message itself does not contain this, but who Jesus is tells us that life is valuable and that he has created us all of us, you know, John 1, 1 tells us that everything that is created was created through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. We have value because of that. That's part of what the message that Christ came to share with us. People aren't going to see it if they're so blinded by Satan, they can't hear the truth. Yeah. You may have to get them to see who Jesus is before you're going to make progress on an issue. Mm-hmm. So doing this well kindly, gently, in a friendly way, where at the end of the conversation, you say, you know, I really appreciate having this conversation with you. Thank you so much for talking with me about something so hard. Can we visit it again sometime? Yeah. You know, if you make it about the relationship and not about being right or wrong, you're going to end up making a lot more difference in their mindset Mm -hmm. than if you're just trying to be right. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think even offering that encouragement of, you know, it's rare to find someone who can actually talk about this issue without it just coming into a shouting match. And I so appreciate this thoughtful conversation we were able to have. I mean, that is, that's huge in today's culture, unfortunately. And to be able to recognize that in someone that actually helps encourage and nurture more patient and thoughtful conversations. And so, Jennifer, before we go, because there, there's been so many great suggestions and questions that you gave, um, I'm, I'm going to share one resource that I just know off the top of my head. And so, uh, resources for people to dive into regarding this issue. So, the one that comes to mind, uh, it's actually a documentary that you can you can buy. They have it on on DVD. It's called Hush, and it was a a journalist. She was pro-choice, and she was just investigating abortion and understanding the issue. So she was a, a liberal woman, pro-choice. So, which I, I really appreciated because I'm like, okay, this gal is, is already from that, the pro-choice side and she's wanting to investigate the claims of abortion, increased risk in cancer rates, uh, depression, anxiety. So she would be more critical um, of the pro-life stance. And the documentary was absolutely enthralling. I have rarely sat through one to where when it was over, I wanted to instantly rewatch it. And that is just a fantastic resource. There's lots of information, facts, stats. So especially the person, depending on who you're engaging with, if you know that they're a stats person, they want the facts, they want the scientific arguments, you know, that is a fantastic resource. But Jennifer, do you have any uh, resources that would be helpful for, for people to want to dive more deeply into this issue? Well, Stand to Reason has a lot of good resources on the topic of abortion and how to have the conversation. Uh, Scott Klusendorf, is probably the foremost pro-life speaker, um, and he has resources as well. Um, Trent Horn has a book called Persuasive Pro-Life. Mm. That is handy. Um, and I have a couple of blog posts that go through a lot of the things we talked about today Perfect. Um, on Heaven, Not Harvard. One of them is What Changed My Heart and Made Me Pro-Life. And the other one is How to, talk, uh, how to Share the Truth About Abortion with Your Pro-Choice Friends. Fantastic. Yeah, those wonderful, heavennotharvard.com, yes? Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. Hop over there for more blog information. Now there's a book, I'm going to include it in the resources and I'm blanking on the title, but Answers in Genesis, if you go to their store, they've got a a beautiful book that, there's two of them, if I remember correctly, that actually shows the stages of fetal development from conception all the way to delivery. And it the images are just gorgeous and it explains fetal development. It is a, a wonderful resource. Again, uh, please forgive me for blanking 
blanking on the name, but we will include that in the resources. That's actually a great book for you to read with your kids because for one, it explains how babies are made. So you get to have that awesome conversation, but it also really submerges your kid in the beauty of God's design. And that was one thing, you know, I, I, probably listeners know I've got older boys, they're, they're teenagers, and we just had a new little one. We were able to really just marvel at God's design each week when we got the baby center updates. And I was like, okay, the eyes are developing right now. And oh, baby is having hiccups. And it was amazing for them just to see how how meticulous and how creative God is. I mean, even now with, with nursing an infant and talking about, oh, here, breast milk, there's different types of breast milk. And this part energizes the baby and and then the hind milk actually makes the baby sleepy. So they nap afterwards. So mommy gets a break. You know, they were, they were even, you know, in sharing those things, even my, my teenage boys, you know, they were like, wow, God is really clever. And I was like, oh, I know, shocker, right? I mean, these are wonderful opportunities that we can take with our kids to help them understand the beauty and the majesty of who we are as people, the the preciousness of babies, which we especially need not only for our girls to understand, because unfortunately, pro-choice feminist movements are just hardcore onto our girls trying to vilify life. And you don't want to be a mom and just degrading it. And for guys, mm. they're trying to silence our boys and say, boys, if you don't have a uterus, you don't have an opinion. And that's utterly, utterly false. And so to take these moments and some of these resources to speak life into your kids about life is just, a, it, it's huge in fighting the enemy on the grounds of the most vulnerable, which is our, our unborn children. So so that's one thing we didn't cover is ooh. whether or not men should have a say. Oh, okay. Well, let's do that really quick. So we're, we're just, we're going to keep going okay. for, because this is super important. So so if men do not get a say in our reproductive rights, then Roe should have never been decided at all. That's right. Because it was decided by men. It was decided by nine white men, old white Ooh, men. Old white men. My goodness. Like the worst of the worst. The worst. Right? That's like the trifecta. <laughs> oh. So one and two, our laws are all geared toward what we do with our bodies again. Yeah. So there are laws made by people of all genders mm -hmm. that affect people of all genders. Mm. Just because you're a man doesn't mean you can't stop somebody from beating their dog yeah. or a woman. Like, well, I'm not that person's, you know, I don't own that dog. So yeah. I have no right to say you can't beat your dog. Of course you have a right to say when you see something immoral happening, mm -hmm. you see something wrong happening. It is our responsibility to say something, to step in, to defend the defenseless. Absolutely. And what drives me crazy is people that are more willing to defend a dog's life than a human's. Ugh. Or I, try to give away a dog on Facebook. Oh, yep. And people come out of the woodwork like, how dare you? Mm -hmm. You knew what you were signing up for when you got this puppy. Mm -hmm. I don't care if it's bitten your child or what, like, you need to solve this problem. People will say the most ridiculous things about giving away an animal. Right. And then turn around and argue that you can abort a person mm. for significantly less reason. Yeah. The the cognitive dissonance is just really overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. And I remember there was a study that was done a few years ago that to where the, I think it, they were doing MRI scans and they were they were finding that people were more emotionally moved by a picture of a puppy than a picture of a baby. And folks, that is showing a decay within society when we are more emotionally moved by by an animal like what you say jennifer than a human being you know who's made in the image of god and that's not to say that you know you can mistreat animals that's just to say that no we we need to value human life but our culture has has been degrading it for so long to where now we are just more emotionally stirred over a cute puppy and oh that's deeply tragic. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for bringing that up because that is important. We do need to encourage not just our women to be defenders, but our men to step back into that defender role and defend the vulnerable. So absolutely. Men, if you're listening, you absolutely have a voice and we desperately need you to speak up in this in this case for pro-life. So, And the, the more men can speak up, the more good they tend to do hurrah. because they're the ones that if they stand by their girlfriend and say, I will walk with you through this. Mm -hmm. I'm going to parent this child. You know, it wouldn't be a bad idea if I married you. Like mm -hmm. 
Those are the kind of things that we need men to step up and start doing yeah. and start encouraging other men to be men again. Yeah. Our culture has devalued masculinity and we've lost the good parts of masculinity, the, the protector, the provider, the encourager. We need to encourage men to do those things again yeah. because it's going to make a big difference for the women in their lives to choose life. Because when you end up in a crisis pregnancy, we want to remove the crisis, not mm -hmm. the pregnancy. And men have a powerful position and ability to do that. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer. I really appreciate this conversation. If you have enjoyed this podcast, make sure you follow us on social media. Check out our webpage, mamabearapologetics.com for more podcasts, blogs. You can even request a speaker to come to your church to encourage your mom's group, your congregation, your youth group, whatever it is. We are here and available to help strengthen the kingdom. And so thank you for spending this time together. Jennifer, thank you for joining me. And we will see you next time on another Mama Bear Apologetics podcast. This has been a Mama Bear Apologetics recording. To learn more about Mama Bear Apologetics, please visit us on the web at www.mamabearapologetics.com. We hope you learned a little more about how to sift through ideas, accept the good, reject the bad, and now you can go teach your kids to do the same. Do you have any questions or maybe some ideas about future podcast episodes? Send us an email to askthemamabears at gmail.com and we'll do our best. Rise up, ladies. Rise up, mama bears. We are all in this together. <laughs>